I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power Platform Show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 318. That's 318. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by ISV Connected. If you're an ISV and you need to check out isvconnected.com, a private ISV members-only community that recently launched for the sole purpose of making ISVs successful. Navigating the Microsoft ISV landscape is easier with friends. Sign up today at isvconnected.com. Without further ado, let's get underway and welcome our auspicious guest. Today's guest is from Reading, England. He works for Avenard as the Director of Global Power Apps and Power Platform Centre of Excellence. He loves small woodland animals, watching cult classic movies, lots of beer, and likes to cover himself in honey and then roll around in piles of dry leaves while tickling himself. Sometimes he just really wants to show off a terrible Hawaiian shirt. You can find him on Twitter at Tattooed CRM Guy. Chris Huntingford, welcome to the show. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, that is the best intro I've ever received to anything in my life. In fact, could we just like <laughs> copy that and do that every time? <laughs> should, we, should we run it again? Do you want to see if I can improve on it? No, no, that's amazing. <laughs> Okay, because I was, I, you know, I actually wanted to come in. Welcome to the show, Chris Huntingford. Oh, the crowd goes wild. Yeah. How are you, man? Are you good? Good man, and yourself? Yeah. Awesomeness, awesomeness. Okay, so the goal of today is to uncover things that people don't know about Mr. Huntingford. And of course, we'll mix in a bit of power platform to that story as well. Oh, you poor, poor bunch. <laughs> you ready? Oh, yeah. Mr. Huntingford, where were you born? Uh, where was I born? Johannesburg, South Africa, 1983, in a really weird, dodgy little hospital. I think it was actually Joburg General. But yeah, that's me. How long? So how long ago did you move to the UK? I think it's seven years now, actually. Wow. Yeah, roughly seven. Actually, no, no, it's seven years. Yes, seven years. So, so somebody that had, you know, so many criminal convictions like yourself, how did you get into the UK? <laughs> I just bribed my way in, man. That's what I do. <laughs> I actually stowed away, I stowed away in the back of a at the back of a jet with a bunch of small woodland creatures. And um on on arrival, they basically followed me out into the to the, the fields next door, built a small house made of twigs and leaves, and then you know stayed there for a while and then yeah, I decided nice. to do some power platform stuff. Nice. Were they badges? They were badges, yes. There was uh there were some were feral actually, but I was I was t- I tamed them. They I have them as pets now. You know what? I think I was there. I might be wrong. But it, there was a user group in London. It was in um, it was in the what office was it? And it was in that was King. Uh, yeah, that was Paddington, Paddington, right? Yeah, King's Cross. Yeah. Um, was that the first time? <laughs> I think you got on spoke <laughs> and and badges came into play. Yeah. So it's actually it's a weird thing, man. I've always had this wooden mammal obsession since I was in high school, and it was with mm-hmm. the moles and things. So like I don't know. Dude, I just used to draw like moles and Ewoks and things on all over the place. And then mm-hmm. I took a bet with Sarah Critchley. I was like, dude, could you bake the word badger into your presentation? And every say, every time you say the word badger or pancake, mm-hmm. like I'll do something. I can't remember what it was. And she basically <laughs> used the badger like 20 times. And then it also got, also wooden mammals got baked into phone calls with people. So it was like, oh, they're badgering the, da- the data sets, you know, stop being so it. foxy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so cool. So mm. cool. So just uh, before we go, jump into some more details, tell us about those three wonderful quid- kids you have and your wonderful wife. Yeah, so I'll start with Nicole because she's the most important. So um, Nicole works for an ISV, uh, Microsoft ISV called Mercury XRM. 
And uh, yeah, man, she, she's doing digital marketing, but it's a weird story because she was in procurement with Mars, you know, the people that make the chocolates. Yeah, yeah. And um, she had bar. the kids. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any free sweets. I'm still disappointed. Um, that is disappointing. Yeah. And, you know, basically we had the kids and she was like, oh man, I don't know what to do. And I said, hey, you know what? We should start a marketing company. So I went out with my one friend to a pub that night, got home after several pints, mm-hmm. got into gov.uk and fired it up in the morning. We had a company and then, yeah, nice. she built some branding and now she's rocking it with Mercury XRM. So she's 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 loving it. She's even doing some Power BI now, actually. I've heard of Mercury XRM. Are they, do they do like a recruitment type um, ISV solution, is it? Yeah, yeah. So they do recruitments. Uh, well, software for recruiters. It's it's interesting because they had actually built their solution the way a power platform solution should have been built many years ago <laughs> in Dynamics. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, wicked. I, yeah, as in, I, I think I, I first heard of them in the UK. Um, I hadn't heard of that. Do they sell outside the UK? Yeah, yeah. They got a, they got a branch in Australia. Um, it's headed up. The huh. whole thing's headed up by a guy called Chris Kendrick. He's a legend. Absolute rock star. Wicked. Very yeah. cool, very cool. How tell us about your journey um just in recent times from you know you've been working the last couple of years at Microsoft uh, in the the UK subsidiary and uh you've obviously resigned and moved on you've gone to Avenard back with uh, an old pal of yours. <laughs> tell us about um what was your thinking? What was that transition for you and what are you doing now? Yeah, so it's actually a bit of a weird story. Um as you know, when I was at Hitachi, um, Kyle, Will, and I were working together. I mean, we we're best of yeah. friends, the three of us. And we started up TDG and a whole bunch of stuff. And then um, I got I was lucky enough to get the MVP award. And I loved it. Hey, like it was I got to hang out with you guys all in um in Seattle and stuff. And I'd always I'd always said, you know, if I ever got a, a an opportunity to work at Microsoft, I would. And um I got contacted and you know, we we had a few discussions and things, and there was a number of roles on the table. And the technical architect role for the partners seemed like a good opportunity because if you think about it, like there are hundreds of partners all over the world and they're doing some amazing things with technology. And I thought, well, I've worked for one. In fact, well, in the UK, why not get to know all of them? So I did. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it was epic. I've got to tell you, Mark, it was one of the coolest jobs I've ever done because I basically spent my days doing power platform evangelism with them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, man, just, just showing them around. But the one thing I figured out pretty quickly was that as much as I love Microsoft, I just didn't see a path to progression for myself. Like, and it's only because I'm impatient. It's got nothing to do with the organization. Like I wanted something now and um, I was willing to put the work in, but I also missed partner land. I missed being in front of customers. Mm-hmm. So quite honestly, I, there were a couple of potential partners on the table, but actually Evernod to me seemed like the best bet because number one, in my brain, they've got one of the best global power platform practices in the world. Well, global, mm-hmm. and there we go. <laughs> and then number two, I really liked the people and Kyle was there and I knew a number of other folk like Carl Cookson, um, Trisha was going there as well. And I, and dude, I really, really liked the guy, my boss now. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on a podcast, like he is an absolute rock star. So yeah, man, I decided to jump ship and shoot over and yeah, it's awesome. Wow. And of course, you know, I've just heard that uh, Will Dorrington has leaving Hitachi. And of course, <laughs> my direct assumption was, you know, uh, I won't say what my assumption was and I won't say what I know, and but we'll leave it at that. But watch the space, I say to people, <laughs> watch the space. Yeah. You know what? You guys have got to remember, Will is like a Tasmanian devil with the brain the size of Jupiter. Right. Mm-hmm. How on earth can any one place or one thing contain that? It's just, dude, the guy, is, the guy is just amazing, right? It's the same as Kyle. Like, both of them are just incredible. So when you look at what he's doing and what he wants to do, the place he's going to and the role he's going into is perfectly suited for him, but I'm not ruining anything. <laughs> good. good man, good man. Okay, so, that, so that's Avenard. How, how, you know, how, how many weeks have you been in there now? So it's three months. I've just passed probation. Yes. Wow. Okay. So they've obviously said, okay, we're going to keep him. Well, they haven't really told me I passed. I messaged my boss and he's like, I'm like, hey man, this probation thing. He's like, yeah, you passed. I'm like, dude, do I get a sword? He's like, no, you get some light hazing. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I can deal. Some light hazing. What about, how, how have you noticed three months in, you know, you're a spring chicken there, but how have you noticed the relationship between Avenard and Accenture? Oh man, it's really interesting. So I had to be educated by my friend Kayla on this um, because, you know, she knows Accenture pretty well. Accenture is 605,000 people big. Yeah. Yeah. Microsoft is 
Man, Microsoft is 167,000. The biggest of the big four, Deloitte, is about 320. I, I, I'd hazard a guess. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, Hang on a second. That's that's less. Yeah, sorry, less. Yeah, yeah. So the big, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Deloitte, Deloitte is 320, which is less than 605. Yeah, yeah. but mm. um, just so like when, half. Yeah, when I was looking at the numbers, first of all, I was going, okay, well, who's actually driving the boat here from a technology perspective? Because yes, Microsoft make the tech, but they make the tech for people to adopt. Okay. And I was like, okay, this this is starting to all make sense when you start to look at the history of the big four and where Accenture came from. Uh-huh. And then I thought, well, that's a pretty safe bet. Then I looked at the relationship Avanade have with Accenture, and you know, Avanade are a joint venture between Microsoft and Accenture. Uh-huh. And uh, that was interesting to me because I thought, okay, if they are doing stuff, they're obviously um, going to be working with Avanade a lot, which they do. And I speak to Accenture people every day. Um, is that right? Relation- yeah, the relationship is interesting because it's not, it's not, Let's put it this way. It's definitely two very different organizations, in my opinion. But I really like the culture of a lot of the people. So there's a lot of um, sharing of information and sharing of knowledge. I do find sometimes that the Accenture folk can be a little bit more, you know, closed with information um, than the Avanade folk. The Avanade folk have got a, a, a sort of culture of sharing. But yeah, I really like working with them. So, so just to clarify, do you this joint venture between Microsoft and uh, Avanade, uh, you know, started? Oh, I don't know how long ago. Around well, I do know now. Actually, it was founded in April of fourth, twenty twenty. So twenty one mm. years ago, that joint yep. venture came about. And I think this is like I don't know. Do, do you know? Was this pre Microsoft having Microsoft Consulting Services MCS, and uh, they needed partners that you know a, a partner that really would have skin in the game and and you know engage with their technology, because yeah, I wonder then because I know Microsoft's percentage is something was ten percent or something like that. They're down to. Yeah, I, I think what, that, what it's much lower. Is. Yeah, it's much lower. I remember at one point it was like 50-50. Look, at, please don't quote me on that. Yes, I'm on a podcast, but I don't I don't trust my own information there. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's much less than that now, which is cool. Yeah. You know? but and um, according yeah. to, to Wikipedia, yeah. 39,000 employees just in Avenard. That's it, man. And that was another thing that was attractive to me because when you look at um, just – so think about a hive mind, right, of like – these people that are doing a very similar in thought pattern. I mean, obviously, you know, not everyone can be the same, but there's a similar culture with everyone. Oh, dude, it was just awesome. Like, I really, I really just wanted to be involved. And it's something that you can only really see from the inside. It's hard to explain. Yeah. So, so th- this is one thing. I mean, I was just speaking with um, uh, the lead for federal government and in Accenture uh, day before yesterday, it must have been in the US. And he also has a power platform div- division. So do do Accenture also do power platforms separate than Avanade? I would have thought they would have just been, hey, that's that's our team that does that. Yeah, to an extent. I think I think they do. I mean, you've got to remember, this is again me being cheeky, and I'm actually quite happy to be it. Um think about who's going to do it better, right? So we've got, you know, the Avanade folk have got a deep history in working with Microsoft. I'm sure the Accenture folk have got a good amount of history as well. But I think it's more, you know around the type the type of solutions that we'd be delivering. And yeah, I think they do have a capability. So I've not, um, sorry, Accenture Microsoft Business Group will have some people in there. But yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that we would pivot and work together. That would be the goal. Yeah. yeah. So any any kind of Avanard employee shows their true metal by knowing what the word Avanard means or how it came about. <laughs> You're not allowed to ask me this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like I knew it apart from having Wikipedia open in front of me, but it is the blend of two words, avenues and promenade. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I was I couldn't remember the promenade part. Did you know that? <laughs> I did, yeah. They take that when you when you do this like go orange thing, they take you through that whole process. It's it's oh, really right. cool, but yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. Okay, so so we're in Avenard now, and of course you're the the director of global power apps. And and one of the things I wanted to discuss with you is kind of you know we've grown up in the last three years in an environment where you know there's a you go out and build an app for it, right? There's an app for that. Go build an app. You know, build a canvas app, build a model of an app. But uh, you know, use the power platform to build an app. And I felt that for some time. People have forgot the word platform in, yes. in the discussion, right? And it's been build a power something, you know, yes. power automate, 
power virtual agent, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and the thing is, the power platform is is the, the assembly of these technologies together, but it is mm-hmm. actually a platform which tells me, you know, a platform is something you build on. Like yep. it's, uh, it's not that you might build one thing, you might build many things. Are you seeing a pivot in the market to much more of this approach that it's not about building a single app, but going into organizations and building many apps or creating a culture where, you know what, rather than go to market each time we, we need a new bit of software to do something, we're going we're gonna to take a different strategy and we're going to adopt a platform which allows us to build multiple apps that meet the different areas of our business. Yep. I'm, I'm going to take a very polite stab at somebody on this call. I'm not going to mention mm-hmm. their name. No, no, come on, name names. I'm still taking the stab. I was yep. told, I was told some time back that no one would ever buy a strategic platform for their business. People only buy apps. <laughs> look at Azure, <Yeah>. mate. <laughs> mate, well, this is where I'm going, right? So, yeah. Because I did look at Azure and I did look at what they were doing and um, have not have a deep history of selling Azure as well. Anyway, mm. so I was like, no. Nah. And even at Microsoft, man, I was talking to people about the fact that, look, an app, if you, if you position yourselves as somebody that builds an app, that's what a customer is going to pay for. And, a cus- and customers out there, if a partner's saying that they're building an app, that's what you're going to get, right? You're going to get an app, which is not what I talk about ever. I mean, an app is just a single digital building brick in the power platform. Yeah. It's one piece. It's like, that's like buying a box of Lego of 100, 100 pieces and taking out one piece and saying, this is going to solve my problem, Yeah. which maybe it does. Maybe you need to stick it under the, the wonky table leg to stop the table mm-hmm. from moving when you're eating your lunch. Yeah, cool. Problem solved, right? Um, so first of all, I want to say that the way that I frame this to people is there are two types of things in this world. <clears throat> There's a st- strategic platform and a targeted solution. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing is a massive shift in thinking around just buying targeted solutions. So let's put it this way, man. I know that if I buy my son, Adam, a box of Lego, that's a, you know, a kick-ass little race car. You know what, man? He's going he's gonna to rock that, that little box of Lego for a couple of days, and you know what's going to happen to it. He's eventually going to take it apart and chuck it into the bigger box. But you know what, man? It's still part of the wider platform. Lexi can go and use those pieces to build a fairy princess castle. And that's exactly. the epic part, man. You're, like, you're using this entire wealth of a platform to build out solutions that solve business challenges and problems. And the thinking is now, it's not like, it's not this immediate gratification. It's not like the petulant attitude of, I need this now anymore. It's going, hmm, you know what? From a wider business perspective, our change should not be, I need this targeted solution to solve my problem, but how do I enable my business to build solutions to solve all of these problems? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of. And in fact, to the person that said no one would ever buy a strategic platform, Yeah, because I was just going to say, I can't see any blood from that stab. And uh, mm-hmm. okay, we've rounded it back to the person that, that yeah. said that. That's good. Now, the thing is, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up a scenario here. And what I want you to do is tell me how you would turn this into a platform discussion. Okay, yeah, so, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> okay, so some years ago, and I mean, this is just me riffing, right? It's just come to mind. Um, I was dealing with the Federal Aviation Authority uh, in Australia. And they wanted an app to register everybody that had a drone, right? They wanted a registration system, which, of course, this is this is actually pre-power platform. This is when we would just take XRM, right, and build out uh, an app for that, right? So mm. case management solution, put a portal on the front of it. People can register their drone, blah, 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 whatever details they needed to do as part of that. Now, that's a point solution, right? It's an app that solves a problem that was pressing at that point, which is how do we register or or control this proliferation of consumer drones that that hit Australia? How do you, how do you, um, how do you take that conversation with a customer that you might have engaged? You know, that's why they've brought you in. That's why they're interested in chatting. How how do you throw that out into to getting them to think more broadly than just this app because it's the flavor of the month or the urgent need within the business right now? Yeah, th- there's a couple of ways. And um, it depends on how open the customer is for um, for me being candid. But yeah, I don't exactly. really have another route, to be honest. So basically, think of it like this, right? You go ahead and you build out that app and the customer pays 
X amount of money for a set of licenses to use that app or solution at least. Mm-hmm. So say that that solution is like a collection of apps and flows and you know maybe some Power BI and you're whacking some PVA there and then you've got your data and dataverse. I'm just yep. you know chucking stuff in there. Riffing. So, yep. so, yeah, so you, pay, you pay a bunch of money for those licenses mm-hmm. and uh, you, you build that app and you solve the problem, right? Or that solution and you solve the problem. The customer's pleased as punch, right? And then you say, listen, guys, I want you to know something. And you might bring this up before, during, or after. You say, look, You've just paid to have the Power Platform implemented in your business. You've got the Power Platform. You've now got the Lego box, right, which is amazing. So now you've solved one problem. What about using this to solve other problems that you've got? So think about things like the proliferation of spreadsheets across your organization with Mm -hmm. non-secure data. Think about the fact that with those drones, right, how do you manage your airfields? What about facilities management? How are you doing things like health and safety? Like what if a drone crashes into something or hurts somebody? How are you managing all of that? Like let's chat. And they might might say, hey, we've got SAS System X, we've got outdated access spread access um, databases, we've got all these Excel docs, we've got Karen and accounts building out all these things, we've got Jeff and supply building out all this stuff. Like we just don't know. We would love to bring it all in. And I say, look, you know, guys, you paid for the licensing, which is phenomenal. Yeah. So why don't you use the bricks? Let's use them. Let's do some digital transformation here. Let's change the way you do things. Right now. This is where you have to do things like design thinking, order the possible, and really get the customer excited. And there, this goes two routes, and I always get, get quite like excited about this because the first route is you have to get IT on board and say, yes, the platform needs to be approved because you've just bought a whole bunch of stuff from it. But the second thing is now you have to enable people. The other route is around your citizen side, so the people that would ne- normally use Access and Excel and you know whatever to build out their solutions, how do you enable them? Now, what you've done is you've taken a single targeted solution, okay, and said, we've solved the problem. You've gotten the bang for your buck from your licenses. You paid for it. Let's do more. You've got all this stuff already. Mm. And that's the whole thing, right? With the targeted solutions, they do work hand in hand with the platform because what you'll find is that the moment you sell a strategic platform into an organization and people pay for those licenses, they have to find ways to use it. And that always goes against their P&L, right? Like if you buy stuff, you have to use it. So who is actually using the the software? And that's where we find organizations adopt fast. And the more val- the more targeted solutions you can add that add value within the platform, the more bang they show for their buck. The more bang they show for their buck, the better the person looks that brought the platform in. Mm-hmm. That's the so, short story. <laughs> I, I, I like it. Do you see that there's a timing, as in knowing the timing to bring the platform story into play? Because what what you just showed there when you took my aviation um, drone aviation example. It's almost like like build the app, but then, you know, in other words, you've secured the deal. They're your customer. Then is it kind of a second phase of going back in and going, hey, awesome, that's that's up and running. Now let's expand the story. So it's it's a it's a land and expand, you know, story. It's a it's a um, you know, you've got your foot in the door, or do you feel no, you should be pitching it up before you right up front before you've even got the deal? I do both. Um, more more than anything up front, actually, because, yeah. you know, when we're going up against SaaS providers, um, which is fine. I mean, you know, you can, you can, we can talk SaaS solutions till I'm blue in the face. I mean, great. The first thing I do is I say, that's cool. You know, we can solve the problem. Uh, we can build this for you with X amount of services time, or we can enable you to build it yourself. When we do that, we're changing the story because what we're actually then doing is saying it's like a, a merged a, a sort of a combined team of people building out the solution that solves the problem. But then we're saying, look, Remember, this is a platform. Look for other things. And quite often, Mark, more often, in fact, more often than not, we walk into organizations where they're looking for something like this. You flick on the center of excellence starter kit, just that reports, and they've got loads of it already. I mean, the shadow IT is, is massive, right? They've got loads of it already in their, their organization. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, it's there. You may as well use it. And that's what I find, like selling the platform up front with the fact that you can build the targeted solution is a better way than bringing it in later. Yeah. However, sometimes it is the right thing to do depending on the criticality of the work stream. Mm-hmm. I heard a story some years ago. Um, I was in the US at the time and it was a health agency. So responsible for healthcare over a state. And they had identified well over 200 applications within their business that had been acquired over time as point solutions. Mm. From memory, 109 of these applications were some form of either case management and or ticketing type systems. Mm. And they had identified over 90% of those could be replatformed uh, as they came to end of life. And one of their big challenges, why they had gone down this journey and this path, (laughs) was because one, for every bit of software an organization has, there is an 
there is an overhead associated with that software, right? There is one, there might be ongoing maintenance fees associated. There's a security and compliance issue. Is that bit of software that we built five years ago still compliant with today's rules, you know, that might be uh, needed to be enforced? The big one, you know, security. We're seeing more and more major hacks, client data being lost. You know, most recently, you know, on my radar is I use Ubiquity Networks, a tool, uh, their Unify range to run my home network. I just made myself a hacking target there. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, last towards the end of last year, they were compromised, most likely an internal compromise um, where, you know, two-factor authentication, et cetera, had to be reset on everybody's account, blah, 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 or, you know, reset your passwords, mm-hmm. things like that. So there's an ongoing security is a big issue for any corporate, you know, account. Yeah. And, of course, every time you add another piece of software that might have, you know, might not have single sign-on, it's it's a, it's another kind of point of entry or risk factor. And then you go on, you've got every time you have a new piece of software, there's going to need to be unique training for all new staff coming into the organization for that piece of software, right? So you don't have any consistency of uh, of interface. You know, I think some of the success of Office and where mm-hmm. Office started off as Word, Excel, PowerPoint, uh, publisher or something way back in the day, you know, it, it proliferated our outlook, it proliferated because the ribbon was kind of similar in all the applications, the, the layout, the metaphor of the UI was consistent. So if you had worked with word, it wasn't a big jump to go to Excel, you know, one for writing, one for numbers type thing. And for every application that you have in your business, you've got this overhead of training then of staff. And, and the list goes on, right, of, of, yeah, of y- you know, d- like the biggest issue or, or problem I found back in the day with access databases and all the myriad of apps that were built out of those or even further back Fox Pro, things like that, was that, you know, the world changed in how we communicated. Email became the massive primary, you know, communication. We played that forward. We've got chat messenger, all these different type of ways ways of communicating nowadays and the old software never had that interface layer or couldn't keep up with the way businesses were pivoting. Well, you take something like the Power Platform, you've got that consistent UI. You've got a company that is absolutely laser-focused on security out of the box, Mm -hmm. right? Right back from, you know, uh, hard lessons learned back in around Windows 95 time where Bill Gates said, you know, from now on, we're going to secure by default. Now, it's always been a big attack uh, platform because it, it's got the biggest user base in the world. So any hacker is going to always see it as a target. But the list goes on as to why a company should be thinking more holistically as its strategy for a platform play. What a, What's your take on that? Okay, so there's a load in there to unpack. I'm going to try and um, I'm going to try and go from the beginning. Okay, so first things first. When we talk about the platform, there is risk, and uh, I'll be quite upfront. There is risk of generating more shadow IT if it's not managed properly. Um, so that's point number one. So yeah, you you got to you got to make sure that that gets locked down. Uh, but the comeback to that is, I think Ryan Cunningham said it once on stage. He was like, "Better a governed free market, you know, than a black market, you don't know." Yeah. So yeah. man, they're going to they're going to do he's, it anyway. He's good at those, right? Mate, he is. He's so good. I love that <laughs> yeah. guy. Like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna break stuff anyway. Like I see it. I see users the same way I see my children sometimes. You know, if you don't give them toys, they're gonna find their own and break those. So yeah. just you know, rather give them the ones that don't make a noise without the the, the spikes and the nails in them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so look, here's the thing, right? Yes, you're 100 correct. I think in in the platform layer, and I'm being very careful how I'm gonna word this now. In the platform layer, Microsoft looked off look after things like security and 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 certain governance and compliance to an extent. Right. However, when you're looking at the app builds, so things like training and support and all that, that's on the business, man. Like Microsoft ain't going to be training everyone in, in every single Canvas app, Karen, from accounts builds. And, and that's that's where the overhead goes on the business. And there's a big risk there because if that isn't managed correctly, actually, you're creating more of a problem. So one of the risks we see in the Power Platform, um, other than, well, let's say the business layer rather than the platform layer, and you're bang on, Microsoft's got all that sorted, is the fact that you can actually cause more problems. So what I say to people is this. I say, listen, first of all, make sure technically the platform is locked down correctly, which it is. I mean, you can maintain all sorts of things with data and all of that, with data loss prevention, and you can fiddle security. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty obvious. 
the thing that worries me is the um, the SaaS version of the, the app that gets built, right? So Karen Accounts builds this kick-ass accounting solution that does like timesheets, right? I'm not saying accounting isn't like ledger. And, um, you know, she spits that out to the whole business. Point number one, what if it's built on Dataverse? Everyone, single person needs a premium connector. They probably won't be able to use it if you've got 25,000 users, <laughs> right? So there's a whole bunch of things to take into consideration. And this is where I say, you know, even from a thing like user experience, user interface, if you build a line of business solution in a Canvas app, which you should never do, by the way, you're probably going to cause more of a problem because then you have to go and test. You have to build automated testing scripts. You have to do training. You have to do load testing. So there's like bundles of stuff to unpack there. So what I say to organizations, before any other stuff happens, even if they're partially down the road, I'm like, guys, you need to have the center of excellence component put in. And I'm going to qualify what that is, by the way, shortly. And in doing that, you're going to save yourselves a lot of time and money, right? And the reason I'm going to qualify the concept of center of excellence is because, yes, Microsoft have built, and kudos to Manuela and team, they built a kick-ass version of the starter kit. But the name, the, the point is in the name. It is a starter kit. You plug that in. It doesn't solve all your UX and UI problems magically. It doesn't, doesn't give you everything you need, right? So... As much as like, I would love to say that you know everything about the platform is great. There is some risk, and you do need to have that 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 sort of level of of the COE. And in my brain, a center of excellence, and this is so important. If anyone takes anything away from this call, this should be it. It is a mixture of people, process, and technology. It cannot just be one of them, right? Yeah. And when you look at what partners do, and I'm going to make a shameless plug here because I really do love what Evernote do, they they figured this out. And there are a number of other really amazing partners that have gotten this right, like Andrew Welch in AIS. Mm-hmm. It's really about combining those areas and helping and guiding, not just governing, but guiding the organizational units to, number one, what, what is the standard for user experience? Let's build out a set of components. If you do more guidance up front, you do less governance later on. And therefore, the COE becomes more about a safe place for people to work rather than this thing that makes all the rules and stops you from rolling the balls down the alley, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. Man, there was a rant. I'm sorry. It's like, just all came No, that's out. good. <laughs> that, that, that's good. That's good. I mean, one thing that kind of, uh, I just want to clarify there, you said you shouldn't use Canvas apps for mission critical situations. Was that right? No, you don't use Canvas apps for line of business solution solutions. What you um, think in there? Yeah. The reason I'm saying that is because mission critical is fine uh, to an extent. I mean, just remember, simple is not, pa- sorry, complex is not parallel to mission critical. It's sometimes yeah. perpendicular, right? Mm-hmm. So I can have a mission critical solution that's a button. Mm-hmm. And that button could have a shed load of flows that fire off behind it and do some crazy things, right? But the canvas app could just be a button. Okay. So mission critical is fine um, to an extent. When I say line of business, what I mean is that when you look at that that Microsoft chart, there are five bubbles, right? And on the bubbles, it says personal productivity, team productivity, complex, um, mission critical slash line of business, uh, sorry, line of uh, mission critical, and then um, enterprise ready or organization-wide, right? I, I think Canvas apps being used as things that are, I want to say, highly complex, highly mission critical are dangerous. And the reason I say that is because the Canvas app UX as much as people think it is unlimited, it is definitely limited, okay? Um, there are a certain amount of controls and components that work on a screen. You get performance issues when you have more than X amount of controls. If you're not using things like concurrence against like loading certain things in certain screens, you're winging loads of variables in there, like global variables and things. If you make that mission critical and then 22,000 users jump on that system and start using that app, it is going to break. You stick that entire Canvas app on a SharePoint list and, oh, man, hey, presto, you've got scalability issues as well, (laughs) including data issues. So the reason reason I point that out is because it's not like you have too little room to work. I think you have too much room to build something amazing. Mm -hmm. At least in model-driven apps, you lock down like the whole UX is sorted out for you. The whole business process flow functionality is sorted out. You're not, you know, you're not nav- having to navigate between millions of screens. You sort it out from a compliance perspective. It's all accessible, so that's all done for you, right? Um, what I'm in very interested in is what was announced at Embass, and that's the uh, the, the custom pages functionality. I'm yeah. wondering if that's going to bridge that gap. Yeah, that's it does. It, it does allow for some very complex scenarios, right? Mm. That new that new pages uh, feature. Um, yeah. And and it is kind of the drawing together uh, even further the the combining of of Canvas in model driven apps. Yeah, I think it was always going to come, man. I think you know when when this all came about, and I I remember chatting to you a couple of years back about mm. something like this. 
I've always had it in my head. I always thought like model driven is amazing, right? I love model driven apps, but they 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 can be a little bit like challenging from a user experience perspective. Yeah. Um, I love Canvas apps because it reminds me of object oriented programming, mm-hmm, like in Delphi, mm-hmm. and it's just kick ass and easy to use. But why could they never have just brought the experience together? And then obviously with the release of PowerFX, and um, you know that's going to be moving across the across the rest of the platform, dude. This, in my opinion, is a game changer. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna blow people like Salesforce and Mendix up the water with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think no. it was ever the reason it didn't. It took so long is that it it wasn't a technology issue. I think, in my mind and my observations, it was always a internal uh, <laughs> ownership of, of, of different parts of the tech stack at the time yeah. that these transitions happened. Oh, um, man. Yeah. And you Who know what I'm it? talking about. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So, so uh, thinking forward, back back to, you know, you said just you just brought up there, we had a discussion some years ago, and one of the, the things in that discussion I remember asking you is that, you know, a lot of what we do is storytelling, you know, to customers, and we, we paint a picture we tell stories of other customers that have done awesome things. And, and one of the things I we discussed there is that, is there a way to some degree, you know, to have a discussion with a customer when, when we're thinking much broader than just app building, but platform stories mm. and, and to get their brain thinking, you know, and, and I said to you, I think at that time, you know, I think of any, is there any function inside the organization that involved a clipboard, you know, and, and you would yeah. go and on this clipboard would be a template. And let's say, I'll give, I'll use an, an aviation example, which uh, is, re- you know, relating because I've, I've been involved in this in the past and that, you know, air bridges to get onto the, um, onto your plane, um, you know, back when we used to fly, you'd go through an air bridge, right? That allowed, that connected the plane to the actual airport as such. And they required inspections, right? There were compliance inspections that safety officers would come along and I would call that a typical clipboard job, right? You know, you, you know, is the hydraulics working correctly? Tick, you know, did I stress test the hydraulics using a, you know, whatever standard tick, uh, you know, oh, I noticed some rust here. Oops, we need to put an X and a note, you know? So clipboard-based functions and, and across a lot of organizations, I'm even thinking, you know, of chatting with Manuela when she was in Virgin Atlantic and they would have, you know, uh, a, a, a steward on the plane would walk through the plane, uh, you know, do, do you like milk in your coffee or, t- you know, tea, that type of thing. And they would fill it out on a clipboard, you know, it was, you know, it might've been, uh, you know, an app that somebody had created on a, on a, on a, on a tablet or something like that. But when you think of classifying and, and, you know, another classification was one I just brought up before, which was anything that is kind of like, um, a ticketing system or a case system, something needs to be managed through to an output or a completion or a validation, have you thought any more about what type of categories different business apps sit in in those regards? What what so other ones said, do you see? What are the patterns you see? So are you talking about like you you're leveraging kind of core elements of the platform to solve? Yeah, yeah. Problems? So so yeah. building apps, building apps that solve business mm. problems, and you want to jog the customers' thinking around their business. As you know, I'd see it as part of a design and visioning type workshop. Yeah, any, any, so, any other kind of use cases that you see commonly cropped up over your you know last three, four, or five years in business that you you can, if you like, if you bring this up, you know you're going to find gold, right? To have a discussion mm. around the platform. Yeah, so I've got I've got a different perspective on it actually, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to try and share both. I, think, I like it, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's going to make sense. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I that I've realized very quickly is that in in any organization, as much as they want to speak the Power Platform language in the beginning, they probably don't. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, look, I've I've dealt with everyone that I have like huge amount of pro devs in there, which is awesome, you know. And they're busy whacking out code and building out these epic apps and like React and stuff and building out crazy flows and also oh, crazy logic and things like logic apps and Azure Functions, which is epic. Okay. Um, and I've spoken to organizations that literally have no cooking clue about what an automation is or what a, what an application is, right? So what I found, point number one, is that depending on the industry, there are typical type scenarios that they face that we know are problematic, okay? I mean, retail is a classic one where <laughs> the app, the inspection type solution or the you know floor walker scenario is is classic, right? So you know, okay, in retail, they're likely going to have issues around getting data from the floor into system X and being doing A, B, and C or taking orders. 
Manufacturing is a good one as well, where inspections is a really key one. Uh, a big one, a big one in legal is the fact that you know lawyers ain't going to build anything, right? They're going to outsource what they're creating, but their problem is data. Where they, you know, they don't care what app they're using. <laughs> they just want to make sure that they get their documentation correct, right? Um, and then other great examples around financial services is around process automation. Dude, they have so many people that are employed to sit at a keyboard and double capture information, right? So it depends on the industry. That's point number one. Point number two is that if you take the industry away, yes, there are some very point scenarios that I know. The moment somebody says, I have a spreadsheet that does X, which is, I'm not kidding you, man, 80% of the time, I know that I've got I've got a solution to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have, let's put it this way, the, the way that I think they, the way that I think they would phrase it is more... Um, a process that needs refinements. So as an example, we spoke to an organization that was dumping leads inside an Excel spreadsheet and then Mm -hmm. they were getting transmogrified into JSON and then that JSON was (laughs) taking them and putting them into Salesforce. And The moment data data has to move a lot without changing too much, Power Platform, right? The classic uh, clipboard solution that you and I spoke about before is typical. I mean, I think I'm a little bit past that one though because that's too easy to solve. Yeah, Um, (laughs) it's an easy win, right? Easy win. Yeah, yeah. The other the other one that I see quite a lot in um with PVA actually is an internal utilization of it where, you know, you have a you have a bot that people are using to ask FAQs on like HR sites, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. that type of thing. Power BI is an easy one. Uh, data data consolidation is a great one. So you know we've got System X that doesn't talk to System Y. Um, you know, how do we how do we make sure that we can compare information or bring data together to actually, you know, one UX? So the good example there is SAP, right? And nobody wants to integrate directly to SAP. It's just a pain. So yeah, um, even the SAP connector in the Power Platform, is, it's good, but it's we, we need more. So using things like, um, you know, custom connectors, the SAP connector, Canvas apps, um, munging data together inside the Canvas app and then feeding that back out through patch statements. Anytime that you need data from multiple sources served up in one place for interaction, Power BI embedded as well with Canvas. I mean, there's, there's hundreds, Mark. Like basically everywhere I go, literally in every single discussion I have, I can think of a reason to put Power Platform in, ex- except for one, except for one. What the is only it? time it comes up where I say no is where they say, we need an app that is external facing for like a B2C scenario. Then I say, guys, I'm sorry, but that's that's probably a React or Xamarin scenario. You yeah. couldn't even use portals for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would also sense. say when when their primary use case is offline, primary use case. Okay, so I've got something interesting to tell you. Um, with the offline functionality, I've got a, I've got a phenomenal colleague in Amazon called jo, uh, Joy, right? And um, she is just, man, she's amazing. So she recently posted a blog post about mobile offline, and she has managed to build some insane stuff in Canvas offline, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking like using collections. Um, she calls them dirty collections, writing forward, <laughs> writing back. Um, even doing some elements of data checking inside the collection, which is bonkers as well. But yeah, man, if you can find her, Joy Kirkwood, she's absolutely phenomenal. She, the, the blog post she wrote on this stuff, man, I would give her a medal for. But when you're talking about offline as in bulk offline, like huge amounts of data, huge amounts of relational data, high security type stuff, especially with app translations. So if you've got a Canvas app that needs to work in multiple languages and you have language tables, mm-hmm. yeah, it's off, the, it's off the cards. Is she based in Seattle? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I got her here. Man, um, stick, if you could put a link in the show notes, man, she's unbelievable. Wicked. We'll get that into the show notes. Look at this. We've smoked our time and uh, and <laughs> we've only, uh, only scratched the surface, but no surprises there. Listen, I wanted you to tell me yeah. what are the kind of one, two, three stories that you tell that um, illustrate, you, as in the, the stories that you tell in business around the Power Platform that, you know, I always have a bunch of across my career. I can go, I, I have a scenario and I can pull a story out. They're kind of, are they case studies? In my, you know, but what are those kind of standout yeah. projects that you've seen or been involved in that you are like, whoa, that is awesome. That is hot. That's wicked, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I've got, I've got three that I use, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail, obviously, no. to protect to protect the partner. But like, yeah, yeah, the first an, one, yeah, uh, yeah, scrub the names and faces and uh, yeah. and, and their social security <laughs> numbers and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> the first one is um, I implemented my first ever offline Canvas app at a at a open canopy bus tour organization in the UK. They do like those, and they used to go to trade shows, man. And um, it's the simplest use case I've ever seen where they would go to trade shows, they would capture leads, yep. and those leads needed to go back to a system, not Dynamics, by the way. And um, 
yeah, man, they need it offline. They gave me a form with about 150 fields on it. And I said, no, we're not doing that. We're not, we're not going to a trade show and capturing 150 fields from, you know, Karen and accounts because she's just there. You're going to refine the process. So mm-hmm. we built a proper app. We got them down to about 20 fields, proper questions, did some really smart stuff around getting data from other places. And it was offline. It was a really kick-ass, simple app snack, worked perfectly, mm-hmm. and they didn't need anything more. The second one is um, we were doing a, so colleagues of mine, Mr. Hill, uh, and I went to a local government organization in the UK, and uh, we had eventually, eventually well, initially pitched Dynamics, and we were beaten by another partner, and however, the partner um, unfortunately didn't get the whole thing right. So we went back in, and actually, we were able to consolidate a bunch of data directly in Dataverse. Uh, this was obviously in a demo. The project was um, a lot larger than this. Mm-hmm. And then using multiple processes. So in local gov, they've got like loads and loads of processes, right? Just bringing them one at a time. And the example people would say to me, so they would say, hey, that's a case management solution. I'm like, well, it kind of is. However, you're not going to put 2,500 fields on the case entity and dynamics, yeah, right? The other thing that was important for them is they needed quick adoption at a good cost, right? So not paying 67 bucks or whatever it is for a dynamics license, they needed the departmental users to pay a smaller amount. Yep. Um, they could use Canvas AppSec. They had a big old model-driven app that they were used to use the processing in, and Dynamics was snapped on top of the, on top of that whole solution as well for call sensor. Um, so that's one. And then I think the last one, which is probably I would say like it's not necessarily power platform, but it it kind of it kind of is to an extent, but it's more a center of excellence. And this wasn't really me. This was more something I'd, I'd picked up. Is that there was an organization that started out with this whole concept of the targeted solution piece around, we need to buy a targeted, we need to buy a whole bunch of SaaS solutions. Um, they're an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is we need to prove the value of the platform, which was really cool, man. So they did, they did things like um, well inspections and all mm-hmm. and loads of stuff. Yeah. And that actually, because that was so successful, it started driving interest in other parts of the business. Like how have they managed to build this stuff so fast? And the concept was is that they kind of made this viral, pardon the, the pun from a COVID perspective, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they made power apps, power apps especially viral in the org where people started picking up this thing like Excel yeah. and saying, hey, we can do some really good stuff. And actually it grew so much that they stopped, actually, they stopped focusing on the targeted solutions, let all the SMEs build them. They were focused on building the critical stuff and actually just managing the piping and the platform. So like think of it as you know, the operational piece and, um, you know, like when you buy a house, you just assume the piping and the gas all works and the electrics mm-hmm. work. Yeah. That's what they were managing. And like the it. users were building out these solutions. So those are my three. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so good. And just in my mind, it was like another 20 questions came to mind. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. I know. It's so bad. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll kind of cap things out there. I think we might do another show in a couple of months' time. Um, yeah. Cool. As... Yeah, as as things evolve, it's 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 a more exciting time than ever. I feel to be in this space, the opportunities mm. abound everywhere. I am. I I was watching what Ryan was presenting at Embass the other day, and I was like, man, I just feel so privileged to be part of this because this is where it's at. Power yeah. platforms where it's at. Yeah. Um. Okay. You ready for your quick fire questions? <laughs> These always make me nervous. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you know what I did? I went and found no. the hardest questions I could find <laughs> because I'm like, you know, let's see what Huntington comes up with these. Yeah. Um, but before, before we go there, do you recommend that I get Joy uh, Kirkwood on one of these to kind of explore her brain and insights of yeah. building yeah. solutions? There, there, are, there are a couple of folks, but I def, definitely recommend um, if you can get Joy. Also, Claire Edgson. Claire, yeah. Um, you go, you're going to do me intros on LinkedIn for all these, right? Dude, she is a, she's, she's a power platform sorceress. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, probably one of the most technical people I've ever met. Wow. Yeah, she's incredible. Epic. Who else? Um, I would definitely suggest, um, oh, let's have a think, right? Yeah, her, Kayla's really good. Kayla Bloomfield, she's doing uh, Phenopsy type stuff though. So yeah, we're talking cool. around power platform licensing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would definitely say, who else? Who else? Who else? Hmm, I've gone blank. There's lots of people. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's let me good. Think about I'll, I'll let you come back yeah. and, and, and anyhow, here, let, let's not delay any longer and let's smash you with these questions. Oh, shucks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't lie to me. Yeah, I won't. Who was your first love and when? Uh, actually, my wife now in high school. Boom, boom. Wow. How old? Yep. 
uh, I was 17, I think. Nice. Yeah. If you could buy your dream home, what is one weird room or feature you would have in it? Mm -hmm. It's not really a weird thing. I'll probably have a music room or an arcade. It would have to have an arcade. Like that's, Mm. wait, I'm changing my mind. An arcade in water that's safe and uh, yeah, with a bar. Nice. I like it. What stereotype do you completely live up to? Uh, the tattooed bad attitude hooligan. Nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. what, what's your love language? Uh, words of affirmation. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're a GC. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say the words. You know what a GC is, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, would you rather be gossiped about or never talked about? Definitely gossips about, man. I'm an attention whore. 100%. <laughs> Who are the three people you want on your team if there's a zombie apocalypse? Yeah, Nicole, man, definitely. She could kill something with anything, man. Honestly, nice. like I've seen her. So that's She's your cool. wife? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'll definitely take my friend Michael, the guy I've known for years. He has fists like wrecking balls, man. He's skinny, but I've never seen anyone take out zombie like people before. <laughs> nice. And then um. And then I'll probably have to say, I'll probably have to say either a combination of Will and Kyle, like put together, like mm-hmm. Wile or Quill. And like, they would be this guy, the Daryl guy from, um, from what's it? Uh, that, that horrible zombie show with a crossbow, but that explodes stuff. Oh my God. I've got this whole thing in my head now. I've made up a story. <laughs> I love it that you've had, you, you've, you've, you've merged their names together. <laughs> that's, that's gold. And you've tried both ways. I love it. Yeah. I love that's it. it. Mr. Huntingford, it's been a pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. It's been a while since we've shared a bear or a, oh. a cheeky durry or a wander uh, in the early hours of the morning oh. down some back streets in Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss it, man. I miss it. Mate, miss those days, eh? But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's been great to have you on the show. Dude, thank you, honestly, very much for having me. It's been super fun. I actually just like talking to you. So, you know, whether you recorded this or not, it was great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. If there's a guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me uh, on LinkedIn. Let me know why they would be awesome and perhaps we can get them on air. Please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to leave a review, go to nz365guy.com forward slash review. None of you have been reviewing lately. I'm getting nothing but crickets. Perhaps these shows are shit. Anyhow, stay safe out there and see you next time.